Amen. That's good. That's good. Good morning, Hope Church. If you would, open your Bibles or follow along with me. From Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 24, it says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, he has opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Before we get going too far, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Your grace and mercy have been so evident in our lives over the last few years, and I am just so thankful that you have given me this opportunity to be a vessel to pour out your word. Father, in this time, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds as we hear your truth. And if there is a word of truth that, you know, for someone that, that I, I haven't been given yet, Lord, I pray that I would be open to the guidance of your Holy Spirit, that I would give that, that word of truth. Father, I pray right now, right now, bind the enemy. Bind the enemy from his work of distraction, from his work of guilt and fear and doubt and hate and anger. Lord, just bind the enemy so that he knows that he has no place here for this is your house of peace. Lord, we desire that you are glorified in our thoughts and in our deeds this day. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray together. Amen. Grab a seat. Thank you so much. So I know that there are quite a few families who have probably come around Hope Church since the last time I preached, so I probably need to introduce myself again. Uh, we, we've got such a, a ton of new faces and it's just such a, such a blessing. So my name is Robert Meacham. I am what you would call a jack of all ministries here at Hope Church. Uh, you'd see me maybe, I don't know if it was last Sunday or the Sunday before, I was you know, singing in the worship team. Uh, if you come on Wednesdays, I'll be helping out with youth as I've been doing for a long time. A long time ago, I was helping out on the safety team. Well, there's dozens of, of men and women uh, in Hope Church and I absolutely love that. We have a lot of Jacks and Jills of all ministries uh, who are involved in a lot of different things. And, and so one of the things that I get an opportunity to do as one of those utility role players uh, is uh, Jeff allows me to... to to bless you with, with a little bit of truth. And, uh, and so, um, and I've joked before that uh, he, he lets me uh, up here about once every three or four months. So, you know, because when I hurt your feelings, that's how long it takes you to forget about it. Um, but so uh, anyways, I, I, I just uh, want to get us started uh, by understanding that we are in the Advent season, okay? Uh, Jeff said before the first service, I can't even believe that Christmas is here. Right? There are some of us that there are a couple of people who might be different, right? So there are there like people like my neighbor who had their 20 foot ladder out the day after Halloween hanging lights, right? That is not me. No. I'm from the other school that I want a I want to transition sometime after the turkey has you know, has, has digested after Thanksgiving to actually get into, get into the, the uh, Christmas decorating and the, and the decking of the halls. Uh, my, my, my family, we used to drive around. Uh, I just thought of this. We used to drive around and look at Christmas lights and uh, we would have my sons and they were, I don't know how old, they were little. They would, they would have, they would basically judge 
the Christmas lights as either one of two things. You couldn't be in between. You were either Christmas classy or you were Christmas throw up. So I, I don't know. Look, some of you all, you're one of, you're one of those. You're either, you're either classy or you're doing Christmas throw up, but live in that and, and just uh, and own it. That's what I'm saying. Uh, so one of the things that I was also thinking about as I was driving in just today, and I love that this came up to me, and then today I was, I was presented with uh, just a beautiful reminder. As I drove in before the first service, there was an amazing rainbow. And it reminded me of my dad. My dad <clears throat> was not a, a Christmas decorations guy at all. He, of course, he's a preacher. He was all in on, on the hanging of the greens and the Advent season. But he... I wouldn't say he despised Christmas lights, but he didn't like them a whole lot. And this is what I said. I, I always wanted to, to hang Christmas lights. And he told me this, and I never forgot it. He said, and I, the rainbow this morning reminded me. He said, son, when you find a set of Christmas lights that matches the rainbow that God gives us, then we'll hang them from our house. I was like, oh, so we're not hanging Christmas lights. No, we're not hanging Christmas lights. So, but this morning I was reminded of that. I saw that rainbow. I was like, Lord, thank you because that promise of that rainbow was just a beautiful reminder of his faithfulness. And so it was a beautiful reminder for me of, you know, the, that in this Advent season, right, we are coming into this Advent, Advent season at the end of basically the aftermath of, of three years of what has been loss after loss, whether that be minor loss or major loss or what, what you have experienced in so many ways with global kind of upheaval and, and especially upheaval in our common way of life. You know, we've experienced tragic floods and tornadoes and, and fires and hurricanes and so many things, just, uh, just divisiveness around the world. And it is a great time to remember and a joyful time to look back at the coming of Jesus and the anticipation of his return. That season, the season that we've come out of, this season of reminder is of perfect timing. A perfect season to take a breath and realize that the Lord has come and he will return. Amen. We need to turn our attention to what has been really the backbone of the Christian church from the beginning. And that is our unwavering hope built upon what cannot be shaken regardless of the season in which our life is playing out. If there was ever a time that we needed a joyful rem reminder that the baby in the manger, that Emmanuel, that God with us came here, that season is now. You know, some of us feel like the loss and all the things that we've gone over over the past, uh, the past few years, you know, heart-wrenching loss, soul-crushing loss. What a gift to remember that God's grace in this season arrives to remind us that Jesus came to save. So this being the week of hope for Advent, we're going to talk about hope today. Obviously, I, I would thought there at the beginning, Jeff was, was, was trying to uh, preach, preach my sermon while, he was, while we were lighting the hope candles. I was like, hey, I got, I got something to say about it. Right, hold on now. All right, he gets like that. But, uh, <laughs> so hope is meant to bolster us, right? To, to keep us secure, right? Where our hope is, is essentially where our joy is going to be found. Where our hope is, is where our joy is going to be found. Where we place our hope, some of us are placing our hope in, man, I hope that lottery ticket hits for me this time. 
Some of us are placing our hope in, in just, man, I hope I get that promotion. Some of us are placing our hope in, man, I really hope I can just keep everything together. Some of us are betting our life, are betting our eternity on this thing. Where we place our hope is directly tied to where we derive our joy. Now, now I'm talking about a little bit of joy and I know that's, that's a couple weeks from now, but I'm not talking about happiness, okay? And you may have, you may have never heard this from, from somebody from a pulpit, but I'm gonna tell you, I couldn't care less about your happiness. I care deeply about your joy. That happiness is weak. It is a sad little version of what God has actually called for his most prized creation. Think, think about how fragile happiness is. We can have a really good night of sleep dreaming of gingerbread and sugar plums and wake up and be like, yes, today is a good day and realize that the bottom of, there's no coffee grounds and, and you're like, today is terrible. How quickly happiness changes. How fickle is happiness. It is so fragile and that is not what you are called to. Why would I want any happiness for you where circumstances can change it? What I desire for you is joy because joy is unaffected by your circumstances. Look at the, all throughout, throughout the Bible, you have examples of joy. Paul and Silas in Acts 16 getting beat down after they have, have ta- uh, you know, called a demon out of a, a young lady and, and they are beaten and thrown into, into prison and they spend their night after being beaten within an inch of their life, being locked in chains in the deepest bowels of the prison and they are singing praises and singing joyfully to the Lord, so much so that the walls come down, right? So like this is an example of how we can be joyful despite our life's circumstances where joy meets hope. We live in the confidence knowing of what is ultimately true. So I wanna talk about hope because I love you. I don't wanna talk about happiness. I wanna talk about hope and joy. And our hope has been under constant assault for the last three years. And, and I don't want you to lose hope. I want you to be filled with hope because our witness to the world around us is tied to our joy and our hope for it. So talking about where we place our hope got me thinking about a, a book I, I read a, a while back. It's by uh, Pastor uh, Tim Keller and, and, and he references an article by another pastor, uh, Pallison, David Pallison, and he, he was writing about idols. Okay, and while I was thinking about what we place our hope in, it got me thinking about what we idolize. And so the, the Keller and Pallison, they kind of argue that, that most of the things that we call idols are really just kind of surface stuff. The stuff that we struggle with, you know, you might say, uh, you know, the idol is I, I want things, okay? Or, uh, you know, or that I, I struggle with this. I, I'm, I struggle with being angry. You know, there, there's, uh, you know, I have an idol that is, it might be something lustful. You know, it's like, those are all surface idols. What really, the, the source idols is what we're talking about. There are four source idols that drive our behavior. And so before we really dive back into that Hebrews 10 passage, I wanna talk about these four source idols. And I'm pretty sure that we can all uh, connect with one or two or all four of them, depending on where we are at a certain point in our lives. So the first one, sometimes we place our, our hope in comfort. We wanna be comfortable. 
We want to be a quick and easy type of culture. We want to be a DoorDash culture where I call it and it arrives. You know, well, I want to, want to have it my way right away, right? That's, that's the American culture. We want it easy and it is seductive. The call of being comfortable and free and easy. The problem with putting your hope in comfort is that when the stress and demands of life from a fallen world crash down around you on top of, of the person that has put their hope in comfort, all they're left with is just being self-seeking, selfish, anxious people. We long for comfort and pleasure. Here's the thing, joy cannot be found in self-seeking attitudes. No, instead it's found in self-sacrificing service. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says this. Praise God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We can repent of our hope for being comfortable because we know the great comforter. We know the great comforter. The second idol that some of us might, might, be, might be leaning towards is the idol of approval. We look about the world and we see things that, other, that others need to approve of us for. We want their affirmation. We want their pats on the back. And that's where we put our hope. We hope that someone is going to like us. We hope that someone likes what we do. We hope that they like our Christmas classy or Christmas throw up that we put all over our house. We want their approval. So this source idol, here's what this source idol does. It enslaves you to the opinions of others. When the stress and demands of life of a fallen world crash into a person that has placed all their hope in the approval of others, you are constantly anxious. You're constantly in your head saying, did I do too much? Did I not do enough? Should I have done that? Should I not have done that? Right? You become enslaved to the opinions of others. The hope in others' approval cannot fulfill its promise. You will not find joy seeking the approval of others around you. You will find approval in the Lord. John 6, 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the son of man will give you because God the father has set his seal of approval on him. That's the seal of approval that we're looking for, not those around us. The approval of others around us will fulfill no promise. The third idol, and this confession time, this is me, okay? I seek to control my world around me. As Jeff likes to say, our tribe, the tribe of men, we have, we have many of us would probably say the same thing. We try and control our spheres, right? I'm kind of a cross between control and comfort. I try and control things so that I'm comfortable. Ryan's like that, <laughs> trying to keep, keep that, keep that uh, thermostat down, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so here's an example of, of, of what control is, all right? So, or, or an example of this. I am supremely confident in my ability to control the vehicle I am driving. No matter the weather, 
right? No matter the windy turns, I feel like my experience since I have been driving for however long and, and, and my capabilities are right what it needs to be. I don't know why that, at that time that I can look over at Bethany and she's grabbing onto handles and everything like this, thinking that for some reason I am not in control. But she does and that's okay. Right, so I, I want to be in control. Control is one of those things where we will convince ourselves that if we just manage our world, if we would just, if everything would just go how I want it to go, everything's gonna be great. And we, and we put on these, these visions of how everything is going to be perfect. I'm gonna get, this is gonna happen on this day and then this is gonna happen on this day and then five-year plans and 10-year plans and all those things are gonna happen and everything's gonna be fine. So the problem with someone who tries to control everything around them is it gets really toxic really fast. Because when the stress and demands of life of a fallen world fall down around someone who has put all their hope and their ability to control their lives, they look around and all of a sudden they're lonely because they've controlled themselves into a box or they're worried or they're anxious because something that they had made their five or 10 year plan has gone awry and they no longer have control of it. So Ecclesiastes 3, 12 through 14. I don't know if you've any, any of you all have heard this one before, but this is, this is fantastic. It says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. I know, all, I know that all God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or, t- or taking away from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. We can repent from our desire to be in control of everything because like Pastor Jeff has been leading us through the pace prayer, we can hold up our hands and surrender to the God who has taken care of it. You cannot add anything to his will nor take anything away from his will because he's already done it. He's already in control of every single thing. His ultimate control. The last, the, the last thing that, that uh, the last source idol we're gonna talk about is, some of you might also uh, have this one, is, is the idol of power or success. So the idol of, of power, you, you place your hope in what you're going to gain next. You place your hope in, if I can just get that next promotion. I place my hope in, if I just get uh, this level of authority in my job, then everybody will, will treat me how I wanna be treated, right? We put all of our, our hope in, in whether we can, can be in power. So the problem with that is, is your, uh, it creates a potential for feeling that if I ever lose anything, it will be a reflection on me. And then I become humiliated. So the stre- when the stress and demands of life of a fallen world crash into a person who has placed all their hope into someone who is gaining the next step, who is, who is looking for power, they will be fum- humiliated and will feel as a failure. So has anybody ever failed at anything? 
Anybody? Okay, good. We're, so I'm not alone. So we've, we have all failed at things, whether that be business, whether we have, fa- you know, we, uh, one of my favorite things is to see memes that are like parent fails, you know, uh, like we, we've all been there, right? So we, we have all failed at something, right? So if I love that we can be in a, in a place with other, with other Christians that can say, you know what, I have failed and I am weak. Second Corinthians 12, nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. See, we can repent of of wanting to have all of that power in our life by submitting to his greater power, which is in us. So if you've placed your hope in these source idols, I think it's accurate to say that probably all of us can at one time in our life, maybe not now, but in the past, you can point to one of those source idols and say, yep, I've tried to be in control. I I, have definitely sought the approval of others way too much. I've I've sought power and and I've sought to, to control everything. I've sought to be comfortable, right? Ultimately, if you've done that, your joy has been affected. Your joy has been affected. If you want comfort or approval, your joy is going to be affected. If what you desire is control and certainty and success, your joy is going to be, be affected. Because here's what I know. God's power is greater. God's control is perfect. God's comfort is satisfying and his approval is eternal. There is no God like our God And what the Lord has for you is unwavering hope and joy. It stands firm despite the circumstances. So where do we place our hope? At this point, like working with the youth, somebody would raise their hand and they say, Jesus. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's wrap this up. So yes, it's not a wrong answer. That's always a good answer. Jesus is always the, the right answer there. But there's more to this. And so we're gonna, we're gonna wrap, this, wrap this into a little bit more, more substance. So we're gonna read again Hebrews 10. We're gonna be in, in uh, 20, verse 22 through 24. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. So there's two things from this passage that I wanna highlight. And if I could condense this passage into one truth, into one sentence where the answer, yes, is Jesus, but it gives you more substance. Here it is. Number one, this, this is the highlight. It says, you are completely known by God and you are welcomed into his presence. You can't hide anything from him. You cannot deceive him. God knows the shadiest of your pasts. He knows all of those things. He knows the compulsions you're currently inclined to. He knows all of those things. He knows your embarrassing failures and yet And yet he welcomes you into his presence. This is a huge deal. We were created to be in his presence. The language of this passage is that you would be confident in this truth. 
right? And, and that you would be assured of this and that you will be able to boldly approach him with this knowledge that God sees you and knows all of your baggage and yet he makes a way. This matters because outside of his presence, everything is tasteless. Some of us, uh, and I'm sure many of us, understand the meaning of tastelessness even more over the last couple of years. We have a, we've had a very, uh, a very uh, evident connection to what it means to be tasteless. Um, and just so you know, God welcomes you in so that you can taste his presence in the fullness of joy only found in the Lord. I know some, someone here is saying probably like, look, you don't know me. You don't know my sin. You don't know my story, okay? You don't know the hole that I have dug myself in. Well, I will probably offend you right now. That's okay. Let me tell you, you'd be able to access the tastefulness and the, and the, the fullness of joy if you would just get over yourself. The Bible is filled with people who make you and I look like weak sauce in the sin game. You haven't raped and murdered anyone in the last week like King David, right? You, you, look, you cannot out the grace of God. Verse 22, he sprinkles us clean from evil conscience and he washes our bodies clean so that we can be welcomed into his presence. So here's the thing though, nothing you did made that happen. God took the initiative to do that. It was his initiative, it was his doing. Nothing we can ever do could open up, open up his presence. He opens his presence to us through his son, Jesus. That's what Advent is all about. The coming of Jesus that opens up the presence of God through the coming of his son and his return. That's, you guys, that's, that's what I'm all in on. That's what I'm all in on. When I'm frustrated that life is, isn't comfortable for me and I just decide to run to my hope of trying to change my own comfort, I'm going to fail and I'm going to get a tasteless response. But if I take my frustrations to the creator God who sprinkles away my evil conscience and, and washes my body clean, well, that's when something's gonna actually change. He can do something about it because he has already defeated frustration. That doesn't mean that the situation is automatically going to turn in to sunshine and roses. Right, it, it may be that being in his presence amidst that frustration in your life is just going to give you a perspective on how you can overcome. There is an unbelievable power when you are hurting to cling to the hope that the Lord has not forsaken you, nor has he forgotten you, nor has he ever stopped inviting you and welcoming you into his presence. Verse 23 says, let us hold on to the confession. There's other, uh, I picked up my dad's Bible and uh, that, that I like to study from New America Standard. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. 
So here's the second thing to highlight from this, this passage. And I know some of us need, need to hear this more than anything. He is faithful. He is faithful. Here's how we know he's faithful. Because we are fully known to the Father. We are welcomed and we are wanted in his presence. He is faithful because on this day of, of the first week of Advent, we celebrate that the embodiment of his testimony in Jesus was sent to us to save us and he will return. That is why we know he's faithful because he continues to remind us every Advent season that Jesus came to save and he will return. 2 Corinthians 1.20, one of my favorite verses. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore the amen is also spoken through him by us for God's glory. So I'm gonna need a little help here. All the promises of God find their yes in who? All right, we're gonna try this again. A little help here. All the promises of God find their yes in who? Jesus. 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 So all the promises that we are hoping for, all the promises that we continue to try and control and, and gain approval for and seek to control with power and, and, and seek to be comfortable with, all of those promises that we try and create for ourselves were actually found in Jesus. All God's promises can find their yes in Jesus. Can your sins be forgiven? Yes, look to Jesus. Have you ever been forgotten? No, look to Jesus. Have you ever been abandoned in your time of need? No, look to Jesus. Does God care about sin while being absolutely serious about salvation? Yes, look to Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Hold fast to these truths. I am fully known by the Father. I am welcomed into his presence and he is faithful. When things are going great, he's faithful and he is with me. When things are going epically, horribly terrible, he is still faithful and he is still with me. That's something that, that my, my father taught me throughout his entire life and struggling as a, as a Vietnam vet who, who passed away from complications of Agent Orange at, a, at, at too young of an age, his, his medical history and all the things that he went through, uh, I mean, besides medical history, being, being, in a, uh, being hit by a drunk driver when I was 11 years old and having to walk with a, with a cane for the rest of his life, like, like just so many things throughout his life. And I, the, the, the sermon that he preached to me in his life was that God is faithful. God is faithful despite all of the terrible things that happen. God is faithful. He's still with me. If he had been with us through the pandemic and all the, the struggles of the last three years, I would have loved to hear him preach the sermon that says, hey, guess what? I know you're struggling, but God's still faithful. How do we know? Because he sent Jesus as the embodied testimony of his faithfulness. I may not be able to understand how life's circumstances are shaping me, but I will hold fast. I will hold on expectantly hoping because this allows me to walk in the kind of joy that other people find peculiar. 
That's really what we're looking for is, is, is trusting so much in the faithfulness of showing our hope so much to the people around us that people look at us and say, man, that person is really peculiar in spite of all the things that are going on in their lives. The gift of the recent years is I think that it is highlighted that we have placed our hope in misplaced idols. We got sucked into being comfortable. We got sucked into seeking other people's approval. We got sucked into being in control of all the little things in our life. We have gotten sucked into pursuing power and success. So here's the challenge. If you've been putting your hope in these other idols, why don't you just do an about face? And about faces when we turn over here. And we turn over here. We do an about face and accept the invitation. Accept the invitation that you are fully known. You are welcomed into his presence and that God is faithful. I know that life circumstances can be heavy for some and, and you've, un, uh, you've had to withstand unimaginable pain and suffering. The good news is that God already knows that your, your doubts and frustrations, he's already taken care of those. This hope in Jesus should be leading us to a community. Like the passage says in verse 24, that we should be stirring up each other with love and good works. We're not meant to hope, uh, hope alone. We're not meant to do it by ourselves. We're meant to be in community, stirring each other up in love and good deeds. Our collective hope is the witness to the world. Our collective hope is the witness to the world around us that we believe, that we believe that we are fully known. We are welcomed, welcomed into his presence and that God is faithful. So here's my prayer. For every light that you see twinkling during this Christmas season, for every present that you purchase for a loved one, for every carol that you heard sung, that you would be reminded of the unwavering hope that entered the world with God, when God sent his son Jesus to us. Because he is faithful and he is the embodiment of his faithfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for, for your promises. Lord, we thank you that your, your promises are yes and amen. Lord, we, we thank you that, that despite our desire to control things, to be comfortable, to seek others' approval or, to, or to, to climb a ladder of power and success, Lord, we, we thank you that despite all of those efforts that you continue to remind us that we are fully known, that we are welcomed in your presence and that we know that you are faithful. Lord, I pray that in this time that your words would, would find its way into our hearts and that we would respond. So if you would, church, respond. It's in your son Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So we end up at a time of, of invitation. Uh, the councils will find their way here. And as with, with, with every invitation here, it's whosoever will for whatever reason, come. If you would stand and join us.